London Tastemakers. In this episode, I'm chatting to Andrew, the founder and CEO of Amelia's Crafted Pasta. We talk about Andrew's history with good homemade food, Amelia's mission, how they've been navigating the pandemic, and the misconception that all food in Italy is amazing. We recorded this remotely, so apologies for a slight dip in the audio quality. Enjoy! So, I'm here with Andrew, the founder of Amelia's Pasta. Do you want to introduce yourself and give us a bit of a high-level concept of what Amelia's is? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm Andrew. I'm the founder CEO of Amelia's Crafted Pasta. We're a fresh pasta restaurant, a group of, uh, a group of fresh pasta restaurants. And what we focus on is uh, fresh, soul-warming comfort food uh, done just like Nonna would have done it. Um, and so our restaurants are predominantly pasta-focused. Um, we make everything on site start to finish. Uh, all our ingredients are 100% natural. And we, in general, just like to make a, a, a nice experience uh, that's very affordable uh, for everybody. And so we, we want to put pasta on the map um, for everybody at an affordable price point of very good quality, basically. Perfect. I love the how Nonna would have made it uh, tagline. Yeah. <laughs> D- does that come from... Uh any kind of particular history with food yourself like any any background of this kind of home cooking yeah yeah i mean t- t- to be honest i mean my mum my um from when we were very young has she she always make she always makes her own food at home from bread um to certain cheeses um she and we live in a small flat in london um, but she's always from a very young age sort of taught me about and educated me about food and and mm. fed me food and and for me fundamentally i have a strong belief that anything you put into your body has a huge effect on your mind your brain your body and everything else Mm. and i've been brought up with that and in amelia's what i what i wanted to uh, create and and the vision for it is is basically to to create restaurants where you have a good food uh, where the food you eat is good for you you can eat it regularly it's affordable um, and most importantly, it has no additives, no preservatives. Everything's 100% natural. Um, it's sourced with care, and and where in general, um, hopefully, you'll have a bit of a, a bit of a different feeling when you leave us to mm. to, 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 uh, to other places. And that sort of kicked me off on my on my journey through uh, Emilia Romagna uh, many years ago now, um, mm. up to maybe seven, eight years ago, before Emilia's was launched. Um, just to learn more about Italian culture, get under the skin of Italian culture to understand their food. Because one thing I learned very, very quickly, and I was about 18, 19 when I was just starting the research, is that food and culture are, are so interlinked. And for me, the way I wanted to learn about it was through the culture. So I was mm. couch surfing, doing shared Airbnbs, um, and just talking to anybody and everybody in Italy, um, mostly around the Emilia-Romagna region. Um, about pasta, how it's made, what the traditions are, and their experiences with it, basically. And that was very important with Amelia's, is as well as the focus on good food, um, is to do it with a respect for the traditions and how things were, were done, basically, um, uh, or have been done over the last sort of few hundred years in Italy. And so we want to create that uh, in London, or recreate that. Amazing. So you say you had... Uh... You'd started your research back in eighteen nineteen, so you had your big idea fairly early on, I guess. Uh, what what kind of led to that? Um, yeah, yeah, brainwave, yeah. I guess. Yeah, good question. Um, I was at university basically, and, and so I 
I was running um, uh, another business during uni just as a side hustle, just to get me through uni financially, mm. basically. And so I used to run poker events, um, oh, okay. cor- corporate games, high stakes games, uh, just private games, uh, corporate trainings, um, teaching people to play, basically all of that sort of stuff. And um, sorry, what was your question? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, so it's a good size story, regardless. Uh, yeah, like just how, how did the idea of uh, Emilia's okay. or even just yeah, Italian food and like, yeah. like, where did the idea come yeah. from? And, and so, yeah, so I was at university and um, something my mum always said to me, and she mentioned it to me recently just when we opened Aldgate, was that um, when I was a kid, basically, I was very picky with pasta shapes and sauces. Uh, I don't know if that was because I was an awkward kid or because I was sitting deep down, but... Um, was was sort of closely relate closer to pasta than I thought it was in the blood, yeah, yeah, in the blood probably. But she said to me, she said I, I was quite picky, and I remember throughout sort of uh, we always ate a lot of fresh pasta at home. Um, like I said, my mum makes everything start to finish at home. She never gets any ready meals or, or packaged stuff or just anything like that. She, she just completely hates it, hmm. um, and and we're not we have we weren't allowed that at home myself, my brother and. Um, I still tend to try and just sort of eat it in balance. I obviously love my burgers as well, but I don't. I try not to um, try not to overdo them. And yeah, and then I was sort of at university, and uh, I was disappointed, you know, because mm. I, I was either making a bit of pasta at home, but any time I wanted to have pasta out, I felt you were stuck between two things. You were stuck between either at the lower end, um, your chains like ZZ's and. I don't know if you remember ZZ's and, yeah. and the, the guys seven, eight years ago, but the pasta was like frozen. It was the sauces were frozen and it was literally just microwave reheated style. And I, I just got, I think, a bit really frustrated with that and increasingly frustrated as, as, as I went through uni and I was like, and then at the higher end, um, if you want to get a good bowl of pasta, you're paying sort of 20 pound plus and that's more right. a restaurant. And yeah, you would get good stuff there, but, um, for, for me, that was that was a bit expensive. Just I want to have a nice bowl of pasta once, twice a week, basically. A mm-hmm. uh, uni student, and I was like, I'm not prepared to pay more than sort of ten, eleven quid for that bowl. Um, and there wasn't anything, so I sort of thought, you know what? If we do it properly, and Italian pasta is always made casually, it's not traditionally made with the fancy swirl and twirls and <laughs> and, and presentations. It, it, it's comfort food at its best. It's something you're your family eat at the table together um and it, and it's got quite a simple presentation and all of those things that's all of these small details i've tried to bring into emilia's and we, we never try and create something that is going to look amazing but taste terrible or vice versa look amazing and just not not have too much taste to it for us the flavor is the number one thing mm. and, um we do of course want it to look nice but the focus is just on on, on making good food food that's alive it's not genetically modified it's not processed when food is alive and you eat it your body reacts differently um and you'll feel it because sometimes you eat food and you feel very heavy and sometimes you eat food and you actually feel good about yourself and and often that will be the difference between let's say cooking or frying on a bad oil and frying Mm. on a good oil and these these small things in the in the process in the cooking process are uh, huge differentiating factors in how people feel at the end of it so, so for us, yeah, I mean, that was that's a big focus as well. So. I really love that. Yeah, like there's not that many people uh, that I've spoken to at least who, yeah, put that kind of emphasis on, I guess, yeah, the feeling that people walk away with. I think that's really important because obviously, yeah, especially dining out, it's uh, it's an experience as well. It's not just limited to kind of 
the moment of like putting food in your mouth or whatever yeah. but, like it's a yeah it's an activity it's it's a well-being thing as well yeah um, and, and so if you find as well for example you probably recall yourself and i'm sure all the listeners will as well is just think there's some restaurants you go to and you're like the food is good but then you feel so heavy and so bad at the end that you don't actually end up going back because hmm. for the next three hours you feel like your body is fighting itself internally yeah. and that's, again that's not what we want like i said we i try and think of it not just the whole process to get to the plate but how you're going to feel at the end and what we try and do in general is, is keep stuff like portion sizes generous but not too because again a we don't want a lot of food waste um and b we want you to feel good not to feel stuffed if that mm. makes sense yeah i'm uh, very very familiar with that sensation <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. um i think you've uh, already touched on it a, a few times maybe but if you had to kind of pick out the one or two things that you think makes Amelia's stand out from all the other kind of restaurants that are of your of your kind of style like say other pasta restaurants in town um yeah i i think i think there's a there's a huge um differentiator i think um we launched coming up to five years ago now and the reason we launched was not because we saw lots of other guys doing it successfully was we launched because i felt as i said to you previously that pan pasta was completely underrepresented it was always a side thought on a menu mm. it was never done properly uh, at a reasonable price point and for me sort of we came into that with that vision for pasta and that care for pasta we didn't come into it with um seeing that oh padella emilia's a few other guys are really busy let's also do the same thing type yeah. thing you know and so i think we had the fundamental belief and before we opened i, I should know i mean we opened roughly at the same time when padella opened um their first restaurant um but before then pasta restaurants all failed mm. i mean i there was a graveyard that i studied uh, of lots of different concepts and operations that tried and couldn't make it work you know and this was all in the us there were a couple um and in the uk there were a couple so i mean it, it wasn't a thing really before and mm. it, it was a it was extremely difficult basically um, well, what do you think it was that uh made those previous attempts fail um i i think it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint fully because i think restaurants um you can get four out of five things right but it might not work basically mm. so and so you've sort of got to get everything sort of, uh, you've got to get the machine working all together, all the nuts and bolts uh, functioning together. And if you just have one nut or one bolt that's not in there, the whole machine can start failing. Okay. Um, so I'd, I'd say the thing that makes us stand out is, is I think the reason why we got behind this and why we wanted to do it. Um, and I think the second thing is the people that we have behind it. Okay. Um, at Emilia's, we have people who love fresh pasta and not just love it but want to be part of the vision and the vision is to share affordable fresh pasta done the proper way um, with a respect to tradition with more and more people so that hopefully within a few years time more and more people will have it close to their doorstep where they can just get good very good pasta that mm. is freshly made and tastes great and, and feels good after even you finish um, and, and that's what we want to do we just want to spread that basically with with more and more people fantastic what what do you think is your favorite thing that you do that kind of i guess embodies that what's your favorite dish on the menu um i mean <laughs> it, it's like it's like picking between kids you know like <laughs> when you when you create seven seven star dishes and we had about 25 30 recipes that i right. created 
um, through working with various chefs and through my own travels, basically. Um, but in the end, we tried to find seven, and we tried to find the seven best that we thought people would um, come back for, uh, hopefully day after day, week after week, basically. Um, I mean, if you really, really, really pushed me. I definitely will, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'd probably have to say our homemade pesto. Mm. Um, for me, that would probably be, just because I think our, our pesto is is probably, if we could get the DOP and basil literally just from next to Liguria, which is where pesto is from, um, without transporting it and all of that, if we had that restaurant in Liguria, I think it'd potentially be the best pesto of the region. <laughs> Um, and um, the, the reason is because is we do it with that respect for tradition and the dish is actually extremely expensive. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's, it's extremely expensive to do it properly and that's why most places don't do it properly. Right. It's, it's the ingredients inside it from pine nuts to parmesan, parmigiano-reggiano, uh, pecorino, few, and stuff like basil. I mean, all those are extremely expensive ingredients. So. Uh, if you want to make it properly, you've got to spend a lot of money. And I think probably some people don't. Uh, but mm -hmm. for us, we try and, again, keep that tradition um, and, and want to make it the proper creamy way, uh, how it should be done, basically. Nice. So taking a slight sidestep, something that I've been asking everyone is, uh, obviously, it's been a bit of a wild ride for the last sort of year or two um, for everyone, as well as the hospitality industry specifically. So I was wondering kind of what your sort of big ups and downs of the sort of pandemic era have been like, have there been any particular opportunities you've jumped on or what have been the biggest challenges? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I think, I mean, just as a, a bit of an introduction, I, I, I think we're far from done with this COVID stuff. Mm, yeah. And I, I think we've got many, many years until we have basically medication or, combination of medication with vaccinations or other things that will actually ensure that people can live without fear of COVID. Mm. Um, and so I think we're still in the middle of it. So it's hard to reflect uh, too early because I still feel we're going through it thick and thin. Mm. Um, but I'd, I'd say the probably the harder thing um, to have to experience is restaurants have never closed. I believe I read somewhere even in the Second World War, the restaurants were allowed to open for limited opening hours. Right, and so we're right. So we've never in the history of our or our ancestors' generations had a time when restaurants have to close. Um, I'm forced by government uh, mandated, obviously, that you've had times in different regions of the world, but as a general rule of thumb for the whole country to have to close, it's never happened. So I'd say that was probably the biggest challenge because it's sort of like saying, hey, a meteorite drops on your house, what are you going to do type thing? All right. um, and so that's how it felt. Um, so that was definitely the, the biggest challenge because that was whether it was COVID or something else that mandated that, it was just no one ever could have foreseen that. Sure, basically. Yeah. So I'd say the biggest challenge was just dealing with that and what that entails, um, everything that entails from talking with our landlords to talking with our teams to um, everything else that is involved in sort of putting a business into hibernation temporarily and you don't know for how long. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was just huge because you just, I think when it happened, I think the first thought in everyone's mind was, A, when is this going to end? And B, are we going to be here at the end of it? Right, right of course, yeah. Um, so I, I think that's uh, the, the hardest part. I think as we've gone on, we've adapted, we've learned. Mm. The initial shock has, has waned off. And now we're sort of more about 
we're learning how to manage it as opposed to be shocked because of it, basically. Right. Um, but, and <laughs> I think there's a lot of operators who say there are some wins to find from COVID. Um, but I think net-net over the longer term, um, there's no wins. It, it's going to affect trade. It's going to affect consumer sentiment. So whether people order a bit from deliveries and go less to restaurants, essentially as a restaurant, you're going to suffer. Yeah. You might get a bit more in delivery sales, um, but as a restaurant, overall, we're a restaurant business and we do have to adapt as different times come. Um, but, but ultimately, I'd say, yeah, ultimately, I'd say it's um, uh, net net. I think the restaurant sector will suffer in the longer term. I think quick service restaurants like McDonald's and, and Shake Shack, they will actually thrive because they've basically found that you can basically hit the same sales numbers through digital ordering and you right, don't need right. to come into your store. So if you look at guys like those, the pandemic has just basically been a bit of a thorn in the side, but they're still making the same sales, doing the same stuff. Sure. I think it's slightly different fundamentally as a restaurant um, where your prices don't lean towards quick service prices, basically. Um, and I think that it's been a lot harder for, uh, for us, basically. Hmm. So looking to the the future then, I guess either near or, or longer term, maybe if yeah, we weren't still in the middle of a pandemic, we'd be looking at, you know, maybe more sites or something for Amelia's. You've been going strong in St. Yeah. Catherine's Docks and Allgate for a few years now. Um yeah. do you have a kind of eye to what's next or is it still, yeah, trying to keep up with the times? Yeah, I, th I think first and foremost, we're trying to keep up with the times. I mean, nobody wants to open a restaurant when you have no idea what's going to be in six or 12 months. Mm -hmm. um, and I would also say equally, the property opportunities have been very limited. Uh, I think a lot of people thought that because of COVID, wow, restaurants are going to become cheap. Let's pump right. a lot of money into them and open new sites. But what's actually happened is everyone thought that lots of money has been pumped into different restaurants. Um, and, and ultimately what's happened is because of the rent moratorium and various other things that basically there's just been a lot of money chasing after a few empty properties basically yeah. in restaurants. And so actually the prices, while they, whilst they went down in the first six months of the pandemic last year, um, all the rents and prices are back even higher than what they were before now. And that's with the uncertainty we're seeing ahead. So again, that's very, very strange to see that. Um, quite unusual to have higher prices when there's more uncertainty than pre-COVID. Um, but the reason for that is just the excess money in the system. Uh, there's just a ton of money sitting in uh, fund managers, private equity coffers, and they're literally hmm. trying to find good places to put it, and they're struggling. And so that oversupply of money is basically what's causing all the... Um, because people are just signing leases at unreasonable rents, even just because it's better than sitting around and doing nothing. And... Uh, they're hoping in one or two years things will be back to normal and then they'll have 10 sites open, you know. Right, right. Um, that's obviously if, for those who are well-funded uh, well and... Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the luxury of that, yeah. Have you thought about uh, diversifying in other ways then? I mean, I think we tried some of your own brand olive oil a little while back. Like, are you sort of branching out into the retail space or any other irons in the fire? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I can't say we haven't thought about it, but I, I think our focus is at the minute solely just on doing great pasta uh, in our restaurants. I think if there are other significant uh, lockdowns or similar stuff, we'd probably look further into uh, further afield to how we can basically uh, do other things. 
uh, potentially mm -hmm. retail, but retail's a tough game. Um, and uh, I'm not under any illusion as to it's not an easy game where you just want to get into and, and, and it works, you know. Mm -hmm. we're, we're restaurant specialists, I would say, and, and that's what we're good at. Um, and so at the minute, the focus is just on, on that. I mean, we, you know, we've had deliveries and takeaways and digital ordering even before the pandemic. So that, that we already had, mm. that makes sense. And that obviously helped us through the pandemic a bit. Um, but in general, I think moving forward is just to do what we're doing, do it better, and hopefully try to bring our, grow our audience, basically. Mm. Were you uh, tempted to hop on board the sort of at-home kit train? I mean, again, it, it's a, we we did think about it, and again, in those lockdown days, there was a lot to think about. Mm. So we worked through a lot of different potential business plans that we could do, and I, I think in the end, we, we we sort of realized that unless we wanted to bring on board more people to really drive that, there's no point spreading yourself thinly across right. different business areas. Um, we we we've got about thirty odd people in our team. Um, but we don't just have, let's say, one person who will just focus on launching the retail range, if that makes sense. Um, and, and so uh, I think you do need a certain amount of manpower to do it properly mm. and do it significantly. I mean, guys like Hawksmoor are doing it. They're obviously a huge brand, but um, they, they brought on board some, some top people to run that division for them. And I think that's what it's going to take if you want a chance to succeed in that space. I think with all the online players such as the um, the sort of, uh, you know, the guys like Gusto and similar guys mm -hmm. who send kits at home, you're not only competing with the supermarket guys, you're competing with these guys, then you're competing with other restaurants. Again, I think it, it needs proper attention if you want to do it properly. Sure. And, and and for me, that would just spread us a bit too thinly for now. Um, but like I said, we, we might have to diversify a bit and move into other business areas if if this potential lockdown is a, is a persisting yeah. matter, basically. Uh, yeah. But fingers crossed with our vaccinations, we're out of most of the woods uh, for now. So, it's all, all we can hope, yeah. Yeah. So obviously we've talked about yeah all the uncertainty um, that COVID brings and the uncertainty of the future in general, I guess. But uh, do, do you have a, a feel for what maybe the next sort of big thing on the London hospitality scene might be? Do you reckon there's a new trend in coming um, that we're going to be seeing? Um, I, I think one of the things we're seeing increasingly popular is uh, QR menus and mm. digital menus. And whilst I think they work for your Shake Shack or McDonald's operations, I think they will significantly worsen the experience for mm. restaurant operators. And and I, I guess talking about pivoting and stuff, it's it, it goes to that point as if, if this is going to be a persistent thing we need to live with for the next five years, potentially locking down every winter or whatnot, then then there is a, an argument for saying, hey, maybe the operation should change slightly and we should target a lower price point at the quick service level. And, but again, that's not, what, that's not what we set out to do. That's not the vision for it originally. But again, as saying to you, we might have to diversify. But at the minute... Um, like I said, yeah, digitization is a, is a huge thing. I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that. But like I said, specifically in terms of the restaurant experience, and what I'm looking at personally is um, how our customers going to feel. Because I know myself, when I go to a restaurant and I get told, scan the menu, order, pay, and everything, I, go, I do feel, A, 
well, I'm paying high price. I could just go to a, a fast food operation if, if I wanted that sort of an experience. Yeah. And, and yeah, like I said, the experience is less, but they haven't reduced their prices. If anything, everyone's increasing their prices mm -hmm. now because of inflation uh, in the food supply chain. So again, I'm, I'm just I'm just observing at the minute just to see how, uh, just trying to figure out how, where that's going to take us basically. Because um, it's it's quite exciting as to as to what people are going to want. Because ultimately, it's going to be the consumer that decides. And maybe I don't think that's a good experience. But maybe consumers will actually prefer that, um, mm. and will start demanding that. So I think that's one of the biggest things because that will significantly change the restaurant experience, and and that will change because you're going to have much less people interaction. Yeah. And restaurants have always been about food and hospitality. Those two things. And if you change one of those things significantly, that's going to change the whole experience. I think not just in London, but just overall in, in the world. I think that's the key thing that um, I'm, I'm sort of fascinated by and, and trying to see what's going to happen with it. Yeah, it's, it's a weird bit of uh, extra friction to the experience, I guess, until it kind of becomes second nature. So, yeah, that's it's an interesting one to see yeah. how that will play out. But, but equally, like I said, we go to restaurants to talk to people, mm. you know, even if it's just to say, hi, I want to order this or how are you doing? Um, we, that's what we go for. We're, we're social creatures, you know. There's a reason sometimes we want to go to Emilia's and there's a reason sometimes we want to go to McDonald's, you know. And sometimes we just want a quick meal because we're in a rush and other times we want to feel looked after. It's a human, it's a basic thing. And that's why I'm saying is I think it's so fascinating because those two things are going to go head on in terms of a collision of what sort of we've historically needed as humans um, to feel relaxed, to feel good, and, and what, what we're going into, basically. Yeah. So on a slightly less uh, potentially dramatic note, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. more personally, um, do you have a, a sort of favorite restaurant that you, you go to yourself like when you, when you get a chance to get out of Amelia's? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like to visit a lot. Um, I love being in restaurants. I love, in general, that experience as well. I think I'm um, going to have to have a think, but um, there's a, there's a slow-cooked meat place uh, near to where I live. Oh. And for me, they have some of the best uh, slow-cooked meats. Uh, it's called uh, Prairie. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, I think, yeah, I think so, yeah. And their just slow-cooked brisket is just insane um and, and i like the way they do stuff and it's good value for money and it, it's it's a good you eat a burger but you don't feel stuffed and you don't feel really greasy at the end of it and i don't know it feels good you know and i, I talked to the guys and i know sort of the care and effort that goes into their stuff so yeah i, I like them um, i'm a huge fan of franco manca just in general mm. I, I think i think it's very hard to beat i mean their dough for me, is, is, is extremely good. Yeah, I love my breads and pastas. Um, but yeah, in general, I think their dough is extremely good and the value for money they offer is next to none. Mm. Um, so for me, that's always sort of something I might pop into uh, just for a quick meal. Um, but yeah, apart from that, just a few other local places. Nice. Do you have any, uh, for anyone who's considering, I guess, like backpacking sofa surfing around Italy as you did yeah. <laughs> are there any kind of like hidden hidden gems out there that you particularly uh, like still think of now um it's hmm. a good question um I, I'd say it's hard not to get carried away by all the beautiful sea and mountains in the different areas mm. <laughs> uh, they have a lot of beautiful lakes seas so 
Um, for me, I was trying to stick to a research trip, so it was hard not to um, get too sort of diverted on those things. But I'd say I'd probably say um, th there's not um, there's not something in particular I would say as a standout. But what I would say in general is that stuff like TripAdvisor and Google are terrible for Italy. Right. I used to get recommendations just from talking to people in a bar or in mm. places like that, and I'd say that's the number one thing that I think people get wrong is that. Just because every other tourist who doesn't eat fresh pasta, doesn't understand fresh pasta, doesn't understand good produce, comes and says this is amazing fresh pasta when actually it's, right. when you go there, it's clearly not. A lot of people have that misconception that Italy is, all the food is great. And I would say, if anything, it, that's completely wrong. <laughs> um, what you'll find is actually 80% of the food is very, very average and made for a tourist clientele. Right. About 10 to 20%, if you really find the right places, maybe even less than that. Um, have that amazing Italian food that everybody raves about. And I'd say finding those places is like finding a needle in a haystack in that you've got to talk to people. And that's how, that's how we found our way around. That's how I always, when I travel, that's how I find my way around. You, you have a few starting points that you might have a, somebody who you know recommends, but then from there you talk to people, you talk to waiters, you talk to bar staff, you talk to just people in the local square or in the market area and, and people talk and people you talk to four or five people, there are some names that pop up a few times. And, <laughs> and that tends to be where you want to go. And the funny thing is they're never on the TripAdvisor top 10 or, or any of that sort of stuff. Right. So I'd say, yeah, that's probably my number one thing I'd, I'd recommend when going to Italy is um, take that extra hassle, talk to people, don't rely on technology and stuff. It's a, a very good tip. And yeah, one that probably a lot of people <laughs> need, need reminding of these days. Yeah. yeah, hopefully if they can travel uh, in the next few weeks. Great. Well, thanks so much yeah. for taking the time to talk to me. Um, it's been very enlightening. Uh, yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Really happy to uh, share a bit about Emilia's and uh, the journey so far. Indeed. And yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be looking forward to uh, making a return to trip soon. Um, our, yeah. our, our last meal there was our... Uh, our first meal out of uh, out of the last lockdown, I think. So yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and for anybody who's listening, if you want to find us on socials, we're uh, at Emilia's Pasta or on TikTok as well. I don't know if you I don't know if you've mm. seen. But, um, we have a very active TikTok account now that um, has a lot of more more creative content as opposed to the Instagram, and that's Emilia's Crafted Pasta. Yeah, a lot of fun stuff on there. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you see him. It's a bit more entertaining stuff, basically. Um, I personally, I love, I love TikTok as a p platform compared to Instagram. So slightly, slightly less dry, maybe. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Cool. Well, thanks again, and uh, yeah, I look, look forward to speaking to you again soon. Yeah. Cheers, Mike. Cool. Good cheers. Stuff. Take care. Bye. And there we have it. So thanks once again to Andrew for taking the time to talk to me. If you haven't already tried their phenomenal pasta dishes, just as Nonna would have made them. I definitely recommend you go check them out. They're a personal favourite in this household. So I'll link to the socials in the show notes so you can check them out there. You can find me on Instagram at MikeEatsLondon or follow the pod at MikeMeetsLondon for updates on new episodes. And if you enjoyed the episode, please do subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you feel like it, drop me a little review as well. It would be awesome if you shared it with friends and family so we can spread all the love of London food and hospitality. See you next time.